0: Well, good morning from me, and happy uh, April Fool's Day. This is not a joke. I really am preaching. and uh, I'm just glad I didn't have to preach Judah and Tamar last week. Uh, then the joke would have been on me, for sure. Uh, I'm thankful for Matt, who is a great friend, pastor, and, and boss, and didn't make me preach that text. But, uh, but in all honesty, I respect him tremendously, he, uh, it was up in the air who would preach Judah and Tamar, and, and Matt, being the lead guy, said, "No, no, I'm, I'm taking that text. That's mine." So, uh, it's a lot of respect for my friend. Um, you know, there's a man in our house that has uh, become very famous, and uh, he's famous for his his valiant acts, his his near death encounters, and his name is Jericho Joe. And you've never heard of him because I, I made him up for my three and a half year old son, Canaan, for a bedtime story, and Jericho Joe is sort of this, this blockbuster character. He's, he's six feet tall. He's got broad shoulders. He wears a hat, and he carries a whip around, and he rescues uh, the townspeople from bandits and robbers and alligators, bears, sharks, you name it. Now, he rides on a horse named Zip, and he usually rescues a, a damsel in distress, and her name is Annabelle. He's kind of this mix between uh, Indiana Jones... Uh, a much cooler MacGyver, um, <laughs> yeah. And Jim Elliot, he's actually been known to pray for people, um, <laughs> call out to God. He's actually passed out some tracks to bandits before. Um, we're not we're not sure what time period he really lives in. Um, you know, when your three and a half year old is wanting a bedtime story every night for the foreseeable future, you you keep things as flexible as you possibly can. So that's Jericho Joe. Every story has a, a few important thematic elements. Uh, someone always needs saving. Um, the odds are always stacked against Jericho Joe. And Jericho Joe usually does something very foolish. Um, he usually makes a mistake along the way, and, and God has to bail him out. He might be trapped in a burning building that he shouldn't have gone in, or he. Um, tried to take a bear down and finds himself under the paw, ready for the death blow. There's always a life or death moment for Jericho Joe, and God bails him out. And Canaan, my son, he, he loves Jericho Joe. Um, he asks for him every night. And we were actually at Walmart a few weeks ago, and, and he saw a guy that had long hair in the back. And he said, Dad, there goes Jericho Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, we won't, we won't tell him, but uh, yeah. Um, but you know what Canaan is really fascinated by with Jericho Joe? He's, he's particularly interested in this, this seemingly invisible hand that always seems to pull Jericho Joe through these terrible circumstances. His eyes get big when, when all looks lost, and it appears that it's the end for Jericho Joe, and, and he always says, what, Dad? What, what's next? He's intrigued by how redemption works in his life. He's intrigued by how God always seems to bring things full circle for Jericho Joe when circumstances point to disaster. Somehow, amazingly, miraculously, it works out for the best, and there's always this relieved sigh from Canaan each night when all is well with Jericho Joe, and he often asks to just hear it again. And as we've gone through Genesis, I hope that you've had that same childlike wonder and, and fascination with how redemption is working and all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 God made a promise to redeem man from sin and Satan and this promise has made its way through Genesis despite all the sins and the failures of God's people and all the circumstances that are difficult last week being one of those God has seen his promise through hasn't he? He's singing his promise through when all seems lost. God's hand of providence orchestrates all things for the good of his people and for the accomplishment of his purposes. And these past few weeks we've uh, zoomed in on on Jacob's family and particularly the life of Joseph. And last week as Matt said we we sort of panned off of Joseph for a week and we panned over to one of his brothers and we looked at Judah and Tamar. Now we're back and if you remember, Joseph is in Egypt, his brothers sold him as a slave, and he ends up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is, is the captain of the guard, which is an important position, it's kind of like uh, the palace security, he, he guards the king, so he would have been like the head of the secret service kind of position, very influential, and, and today we're going to see Joseph in Potiphar's house, and Joseph is going to rise in Potiphar's house, rise with favor and success, and then he's going to fall right back out of Potiphar's house. He's going to rise and fall. Before we look at the text, let's just pray together and ask that God would give us that, that childlike wonder as we watch his hand. Lord, we, we pray for your grace and your mercy to be on us. We recognize, Lord, that unless you open our eyes, we won't see anything of value in your, in your word. So we pray with the psalmist that you would incline our hearts to your testimony not to selfish gain. We pray that you'd open our eyes to behold wonders in your law, in your word. And Lord, would you then unite our hearts, we pray, to fear your name and to love you and to adore you and to trust you, we pray, through Christ's name. Amen. We'll turn to Genesis 39 where we're going to pick up the story if you've got a Bible. What we're going to do is we're going we're to read through the story and just kind of take it as it comes. We'll, we'll pause Here and there, and then we'll finish by just stepping back and seeing how God wants to encourage us through this account of Joseph and Potiphar's house. Genesis chapter thirty nine, it'll be on the screen, and I'll do my best with this PowerPoint. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him, had bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. in Joseph's charge. And because of Joseph, he had no concern. Potiphar had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Alright, so here we get one of two bookends to our account this morning. The the brackets to the story, if you will. The, The opening impression and the closing impression. Bookend number one, if you look in verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence with Joseph will open this story A lot of crazy stuff will happen throughout the story and God's presence with Joseph will close this story. What's happening with Joseph in Potiphar's house? He's rising. Things are are going great. Verse 2 tells us he's a successful man and everything succeeds in Joseph's hands and he finds favor with Potiphar and he gets more responsibility and by the time we're in verses 5 and 6, Potiphar didn't have any concern about anything. Because he's left it all in Joseph's charge. I mean, this, this move to acquire Joseph's, it's paying off for Potiphar, isn't it? I mean, who knows what it was? Maybe Joseph, you know, balanced the budget, made some new investments. You know, I don't know, hired a new cook, new landscaping, you know, you name it. He was just doing things well, and he gained the favor and trust of Potiphar. And Potiphar liked Joseph so much, he trusted Joseph so much, he puts Joseph in charge of everything. So the, the opening picture is this. Joseph is rising in Potiphar's house. I mean, wouldn't you like to have a Joseph in your life? right? I have no concerns about anything. Because I've got Joseph here. Joseph's gone from, from rags to riches. All of a sudden, he's gone from pit to palace. Let's keep reading at the end of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome Can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Joseph was an attractive guy. He was handsome in form and appearance, verse 6 says. In fact, Joseph, he's the only male in the entire Bible described this way. This is an attractive dude. Genesis 29, it says that Joseph's mom, Rachel, was beautiful in form and appearance. So, so Joseph came from good stock apparently. And, and he flossed and he was smart and he worked out. and He wasn't balding. I'm positive you know, about that as well. But Potiphar's wife is, is overcome with lust for Joseph. And in verse 7, she, she tells him. She doesn't ask him she tells him lie with me it's not a question it's not subtle it's a command and if you're wondering what kind of of awkward tempting difficult position this would have been for joseph we'll consider a few things first potiphar's wife was likely very attractive men tended to choose their wives at this time don't forget potiphar's the the head of the secret service so he likely chose for himself an attractive wife History tells us Joseph was probably 17 or 18 years old. So he's not oblivious to an attractive lady. He's not oblivious to sexual temptation. Historical context tells us too that that sexual looseness was common in slave societies. So it wouldn't have been that out of the ordinary for something to be going on. But more than all of this, this was his master's wife, verse 7 tells us. Tell me, when was the last time it was a good idea to disobey your master? It, it could mean your life. It could mean your life. So this isn't just a sexual temptation for Joseph. This is a power play by Potiphar's wife. There's not just pressures, physical pressures. There's also job pressures. He could have lost his job, lost his life. You don't disobey your master this is a situation that nobody wants right who wants these kinds of pressures pressing in on you especially a 17 or 18 year old young man what would you have done because see they they probably could have gotten away with it i'm assuming so since she's the one that told him to do it they probably could have gotten away with it she was obviously powerful and influential as well probably could have happened and covered it up What would you you have done? Nobody watching. While we might not face Potiphar's wife, we do live in a culture where indeed sexual temptation and sexual advancement is day after day after day after day after day after day. I fear for my boys and what kind of world it's going to be when they get to be 17 and 18 years old. Joseph would not listen to Potiphar's wife. Will we listen to the sexual advances of the culture? You know, in in the church, there's a million methods and and acronyms and these kinds of things to resist sexual sin, and and those can be really helpful, so I'm not going to minimize any of those. But I want us to see this morning where Joseph draws his power, where he gets his motivation from to resist an attractive woman who's also his master's wife, Day after day after day. This wasn't just one encounter. This is day after day you wake up and go into work and your master's wife, an attractive, influential woman day after day telling you, lie with me. Look at verse 8. This is Joseph's motivation. This is where he gets his power from. Verse 8, Joseph says, because of me, Potiphar has no concern about anything. In verse 9, Potiphar hasn't kept anything from me except, except you. In other words, Joseph is saying, Potiphar, trusts me. My, my master, my, my friend, he, he trusts me. How could I deceive him and break this trust and wrong my fellow man? And what's more, in, in verse 9, Joseph says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knows the stakes are even higher then betraying his own master and sinning against Potiphar, Joseph says, I can't do such a wicked thing against God. And I really think this is something missing in our day. A a radical concern for what God thinks about our sexual desires and our sexual actions. Radical concern. Isn't this missing for other people and how our sin especially in this area, it doesn't just affect you. It affects other people and it wrongs other people. It's revolutionary, right? No special methods or mantras. Friends, if you find yourself this morning languishing in sexual temptation, Joseph provides you with a model and it's really simple. It's fear God and love fellow man. And cross-current, the youth... They know what I'm talking about. We we finished a series where the Sadducees asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What's the the biggest thing to care about in the Christian life? And Jesus says, love God and love neighbor. And I think that's what Joseph is doing here. Verse 10 says this conflict is happening day after day, so we know it can't continue. There's got to be a conflict There's got to be some drama coming. So here we go. Verse 11. But one day when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, He has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment beside her, by her, until his master came home. And she told Potiphar the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed Joseph steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So Potiphar's wife grabs Joseph's clothes and fearing God fearing God he runs for the hills he feared God more than he was afraid of losing his job or his life perhaps and just look at the length in which Potiphar's wife will go to hide her sin look in verse 14 she says Potiphar has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us he came in and tried to lie with me I screamed and he took off see in this context, there was serious tension between Hebrews and Egyptians. Egyptians didn't even eat with Hebrews. We're going to see that in Genesis 43 in just a few weeks. So Potiphar's wife, does, she, she's crafting a story, isn't she? I mean, verse 14, it's almost just, they're just explicit lies. She says in verse 14, Joseph came in here to lie with me. What really happened? She came in to lie with him. That's what happened. Verse 15, she says, I cried out, and he ran. No, you grabbed his clothes and harassed him, and he ran. His heart cried out, and he ran. So she crafts these lies, but she's also playing on this Egyptian and and Hebrew tension. She's reminding everybody, he's a Hebrew, which means... We should already not trust him. You should already not believe this guy. He's already not trustworthy. My story's got credibility to it. She's in very deep. You know, the length that we'll go to cover our sins, right? We'll do more than cover him. We'll cast distrust on other people and deflect the attention. Pontifer's mad, understandably, but, but notice that he throws Joseph in jail. Which is interesting because rape, which is... Pretty much what she's asserting is a capital offense, which means death. And Potiphar puts Joseph in jail, which I just can't help but wonder if he's maybe a little suspect of this story as well. Maybe he knows his wife, and maybe there's a little bit of an eye roll there. But this prison's no pretty place. Um, It would have been a serious trial for Joseph. You know, imagine something like Edmond Dantes from, from the Count of Monte Cristo. Psalm 105 actually describes Joseph's experience It says that his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Just when it looks terrible for Joseph, we we see the second set of bookends, right? Verse 21, if you look there, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. Eventually, Joseph is put in charge of all the prisoners. It's almost a repeat of Potiphar's house. And the keeper of the prison trusts Joseph, and Joseph succeeds. I recently read an article about a man named Alan Northup. And in 1993, Alan Northup was playing a game of pool with his friends in Woodland, Washington. And some police came in and handcuffed him and charged him with rape and kidnapping. And he instantly shouted out, no, you've got the wrong guy. It's not me. He was the father of three children under the age of six. He was sentenced to 23 years in prison. And after 17 years in prison, DNA testing conclusively showed that Alan Northup was innocent. In fact, it conclusively showed it was obvious another man was guilty. And so he left prison after 17 years, his kids grown up, and he walked out of prison with $2,500 in his bank account that he made with his 43-cent-an-hour job. But he worked in prison every day for 17 years. Just playing a game of pool, 17 years, gone. $2,500 is all you've got, and your kids are grown up. You know, I think Alan Northup's just acutely aware of what Joseph knew, and I think If we're all honest what we all really know to be true ourselves and that is that life is filled with with ups and downs and that can seem trite but to use some language from this particular text it can be filled with with pits and palaces can't it palaces and prisons peak moments in life and valley moments in life pit moments in life palace moments in life prison moments in life and we all have these palace moments don't we these these up moments these mountaintops in moments where we're, we're just very aware of the goodness of God. You just feel close to God in this particular season. You're enjoying serving Him. You're very aware of what Christ has done for you. And you know, maybe job's just going well and, and marriage is going well. And you just feel like you're, you're instructing, discipling your kids and they're actually listening. You're just hitting on all cylinders. God's favor seems especially evident, right? Palace moments. I had one of these moments last week. I was... Reading 1 Corinthians in the morning, I was encouraged by the the wisdom of the cross and I felt close to God and fact, I was living in the good of the gospel and um, thankful for Christ and I was out with Kristen, we were at Chili's restaurant and we were just laughing and having a good time and enjoying fellowship and on top of all that, my hometown basketball team made it to the final four, it's disregard last night, but Louisville, Louisville made it to the final four at that time. It was just one of those days, and, and then we finished the Chili's, walked across the street to the mall with no agenda, and I, I bought a blazer for $7, normally $130. I mean, I felt like Potiphar. I felt like, <laughs> I did, I felt like Pharaoh. I was just like, my team's going to win, I, I want that blazer right there, and um, just this and that. But really, I was just aware of God's kindness expressed to me in a bunch of different ways. I was... It was a rising moment, you know, it was an up moment. It was a, a palace moment. And you may have not been sent to prison for a murder you did not commit, but we all have prison moments in life, don't we? We all have valley moments in life. We all have pit moments, moments where we feel trapped, we feel lonely, despairing, hopeless, we feel forgotten, perhaps by God. I mean, isn't isn't it just astounding how quickly we can go from Palace to prison, you know, to the pit. I mean, anything can happen. You lose a job, lose a child, lose a friend. You find out you've got a chronic illness or somebody close to you does. i just in a moment. Your kids won't listen. You feel hopeless as parents. Marriage isn't going well. You feel like you take one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. You just can't figure it out. Circumstances can make life feel like a prison, a prison moment. So they can f- make life feel like a pit. Maybe it's particular sins in your life that you know you've you've pledged allegiance to the Bible like ten times that you'll not do this one sin ever again and you do it five minutes later. You just said you wouldn't, right? Sins that, that threaten to squelch all the spiritual life that you have. And so you end up living in a prison of, of anger, of lust, of bitterness, of pride, fill in the blank. Prison moments, pit moments. We've all got him. What's yours? Joseph's account this morning is, is from pit to palace to prison. I mean, I mean, it's a whirlwind, isn't it? He rises in Potiphar's house. The favor he has is amazing. And then he is wrongfully charged and falls out of Potiphar's house and ends up in prison. It's, it's rags to riches to rags. Who among us would ever want these kind of trials that Joseph has had? Brothers throw you in a pit. or thinking about killing you, but they don't. Instead, they sell you as a slave. Thanks, guys, for not killing me. Instead, sell him as a slave. Very nice of you. As a slave in a foreign city, you you rise to power, but, but with that power comes temptation that nobody would ever wish in Potiphar's house. And not just once, but day after day after day after day. And and Joseph, he obeys God. He honors God. What does he get for it? He gets thrown into prison. It's a whirlwind. Pits, palaces, and prisons. And I think if we're honest, it might feel a lot like our own lives. Rising and falling. Rising and falling. You see, I think Joseph's time in Potiphar's house is is less about a model of sexual integrity, although it's certainly that, and there is a lesson there. I I think it's less about the dynamics of how, when, or if God blesses our faithfulness in the workplace, although there's most certainly probably a lesson there. I I think the message, the big idea, is similar to what we've learned really all along in Genesis. I think the faith-building lesson this morning is this. From palace to prison, God is with us. From palace to prison, God is with us. In your palaces and in your prisons and in your life, God is is with you. That might seem obvious, so I want to make two observations that I I hope will help us understand why that should matter to you this morning. Why should you care that God is with you in your palace moments in life and in your prison moments in life? Observation number one is this. Notice that the God with Joseph is Yahweh. The God with Joseph is Yahweh, the Lord, This, this name of God, which is what? It's it's the personal name of God. It's the, the covenant name of God. The name introduced back in Genesis 2 when God created everything, and, including man. It's a name reiterated throughout the Old Testament signifying both His holiness and His nearness to His people. Indicates His personal and relational nature. In Exodus 3, when, when God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh, Moses said, well, who should I tell him sent me? And God says, I am who I am, Yahweh. Meaning, not just Moses, I am, but I will be for you as you go to Pharaoh. The Lord is a reminder of God's promises to His people. He's a covenant-making God, but not just that, a covenant-keeping God. This name, the Lord, reminds us not only that He makes promises, but that He makes good on His promises. He personally makes good on His promises. He is with His people, personally with them, From pit to palace to prison, eight times this name is used in this short account. Eight times. Repetition is important in Scripture. But let me ask you this. Who's using the name? The Lord? Joseph? No. The author of Genesis is narrating to us what is happening. See, for Joseph, this is a lonely season. He had no idea what was going on. Sometimes we had this, you know, this sort of flowery idea that he was just this, you know, this great guy who just resisted sin and was always happy. Friends, this was a, a trying, difficult season in his life. This would have been brutal. His own brothers sold him as a slave. Consider that moment where your brother's faces just begin to disappear from the pit and you realize they really did this. And I'm alone. And... Then they come and get him out. Hey, we're not going to kill you. We're going to sell you as a slave. Make a few dollars. That's how much you're worth to us, brother. I don't think Joseph was, was chipper. This is a lonely season of life. He's As a slave, he's in a foreign city where people worship foreign gods. His master's wife is, is after him day after day after day. Not just sexual temptation, remember, but this, this job pressure. This is his master's wife. Joseph had no idea what was going to happen next. But the author is telling us that God was with him from pit to palace to prison. God was with him. Kent Hughes, a pastor and theologian, he says this. He says, we're to understand that at the most uncertain time in Joseph's life, when he could see nothing of God, The covenant God of Israel was at work to effect his covenant promises through Joseph. Alone in Potiphar's house with the intimidating architecture of Egypt dwarfing him, living amidst idolatrous hymns, Joseph was not alone. Yahweh, Jehovah, was with him to effect a mighty work for his covenant people and the blessing of the world. See, that's, that's, that's the trouble with prison moments. Sometimes you can just see nothing of God. Maybe you're in that, that place this morning. You're in a, a prison moment, a low moment, a pit moment. And sometimes it can be twice as hard besides this circumstance, you can just see nothing of God. Maybe you're a lot like Joseph. Maybe your friends, your brothers, your parents, maybe they have rejected you. Maybe you are facing an, an onslaught of sexual temptation, job pressure. Maybe even waiting on a job. feels like, forever it's starting to feel like a prison or a pit maybe you're you're fearful about something you got this fear that that rises up like the egyptian architecture and and just dwarfs everything else in your life this particular fear that you're struggling with you can you can see nothing of god it feels like remember number one that the god with joseph is yahweh but remember number two that in your palaces and prisons God is with you in an even greater way than he was with Joseph. In your palaces and in your prisons, God is with you in an even greater way than he was with Joseph. You remember when Jesus' mother, Mary, found out her son would be named Jesus? It's a name that, that combines Yahweh and salvation. Yahweh saves. God saves. And the Gospel writer and Matthew in chapter 1 tells us that our Lord Jesus bears the name and Matt Drago referenced it this morning, Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, God is with us in this incredibly unique way, a way that theologians say would have, would have astonished Joseph. He would be stunned and shocked if he knew the age we live in, that Jesus had came in the flesh and lived among sinful men and could identify with our prison moments identify with our palace moments. And then he died in our place and rose from the dead victoriously, ascended into heaven and left the Holy Spirit to be with us. Joseph would be astonished to have the knowledge and understanding that we do on this side of the cross. Do you feel like you're, you're rising this morning? Is God's kindness just evident to you in a hundred ways? If so, that's awesome. Let your greatest joy be not the rising, but in the God who is with you in your rising. The God who is giving you your rising. Who is giving you your palace moment graciously because you don't deserve it. You deserve sin, death. And God's giving you a rising moment. The Lord is with you in your palace moment. He's with you from palace to prison. He gives you success and He gives you favor. Don't delight in the rising moment. Delight in God who is the one giving you this season of life. Maybe this morning though you feel like you're in a prison, a prison moment. And I would go so far as to say we're promised prison moments. We're promised them. Paul and Barnabas tell the new believers in Acts 14.22 that through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. Not around them, not despite them, but through them. Through the eye of the storm, you must enter the kingdom of God. I, I think one of the worst, most confusing messages from portions of the church at large is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I just do a number on you. In First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few, Jesus says in Matthew 7. We're not even promised that if we obey God, that things will go well. Joseph obeyed a temptation that was one of the worst I can think of in Scripture. And what did he get? Prison. I mean... When I read this account, I, I just respect the guy so much. I, I think he deserves 50 merit badges and a bag of Oreos and a Dr. Pepper. You know, I just feel like this guy deserves a lot better than this. He, he did something amazing here. What does he get for obedience to God? Prison. Not only are we guaranteed prison moments, valley moments, fiery trials and tribulations, we're not even guaranteed that things will go well when we do obey. I can't find health and wealth and prosperity. I can find you a bucket full of texts on hardships and trials. But, as Matt covered just a few weeks ago in our series on being disciples of Christ, Jesus promises to be with us. And that is our hope. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. You say, But but what does this mean for me, though? In my prison moment, in my difficult, trying circumstance, what does it mean for me that Jesus has promised to be with you, with me? And I, I want to give you three things very quickly. It means, number one, you're not forsaken in your prison moment, in your trying moments, your pit moments. There's a difference between being in a trial and seeing nothing of God and being forsaken by God. They are different Hebrews 13.5 reminds us that God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Friends, Jesus was forsaken by God. So that we might be forever cherished and loved by God. No matter what your, your circumstance this morning, even if you feel like you can see nothing of God, just like the author of Genesis provides us with this narration, this, this theological interpretation of what's really going on with Joseph, let the same be true for you this morning. Alright? You might be in a pit, a prison moment, you feel like you can see nothing of God. Here is what God would say to you, you are not forsaken in your prison moment. You're not forsaken, number two, and you are not separated from my love. You're not separated from God's love. See, if, if you're not as sure, assured of God's love, then every prison, pit, trial, it's, it's, it's like a double trial. It's twice as hard because you're not only struggling with the trial itself, but you're wondering if God is angry at you and has sent this trial to you to punish you for your sins. And God certainly disciplines His children and He purifies us and He sanctifies us. But nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God. Romans 8:35 through 39 tells us, "You are not separated from God's affectionate love for you. He sent His own son to die for you. He set his love on you, knowing your sin. In this prison moment that you find yourself in, you're not separated from his love. You're not forsaken by God, and you're not separated from His love, even if you feel like I, I can't even see Him. Here's the narration for your life right now. You're not forsaken and you're not separated from His love. And lastly, number three, your eternal life is secure. You see, like, like Jericho Joe and, and like Joseph and like us, prison moments, falling moments, pit moments can cause us to doubt everything, right? When you're on the mountaintop, you don't doubt anything when you're in a, a pit, when you're in a situation that feels like a prison, you can start to doubt everything. The goodness of God. What I do wrong? And if you're like me, sometimes you're just like, man, am I even a Christian? Just, is God really with me? You know, was I really converted? I mean, I didn't sign up for this particular circumstance. Is that you this morning just doubting everything as a result of Your particular trial and circumstance. You know, I think there's moments where Joseph doubted everything. When his neck was in a collar of iron, I think he was wondering, What is going on? First my brothers tell me it looks like things are getting a little bit better in Potiphar's house, and now I've got a collar of iron around my neck. I'm in prison. I think that he struggled and and doubted. We encouraged this morning, Colossians 3 tells us that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and we are united with Christ by faith, and so our lives are hid with Christ on high. Christian friend, no matter what your circumstances this morning, your eternal life is secure. Because like Joseph, your, your temporal life, your, your temporary moment doesn't feel so secure. The only thing that was secure in Joseph's life was the collar around his neck. <laughs> you know? And Sometimes it's, it's like that. It feels like everything is falling apart. God would encourage you. He would give you a, a narration of your life. He's, you you, you may not be able to see Him, but He's giving you this narration. It's Your eternal life is secure. You are not forsaken. You are not separated from God's love. Your eternal life is secure. Your life is is hid with Christ on high. Music team, if you guys want to come back up. You see, Jesus Himself, He is the ultimate riches to rags to riches story. Jesus, He left the the riches of heaven. He left the glory of heaven. Jesus condescended, became flesh, and dwelt among sinful men. And like Joseph like Joseph, Jesus was rejected by His own brothers. And at the hands of sinful men, Jesus was cast into the pit. This pit of darkness suspended on a cross forsaken by His own Father. You see, like Joseph, Jesus was charged for crimes He did not commit. He died in our place for our sins. Jesus died and and He was raised from the dead by God like Joseph. Jesus fell and then He rose, but only better than Joseph because Joseph is dead now, physically speaking. Jesus rose never to die again. Jesus is a greater Joseph. He is in heaven reigning. He is in heaven interceding for His beloved which is you if you're hoping in Christ. He reigns interceding for us, never forsaking us, always with us. Sovereign Grace Church, this morning God is saying, I was with Joseph as he rose and fell in Potiphar's house from pit to palace to prison. From pit to palace to prison in your life, I am with you to the end of the age. Lord, we thank You that these are true Words. We thank You that Colossians 3 is true, that our lives are hid with Christ on high. Though we may be in a a prison, a pit moment, we are not forsaken. We are not separated from Your affectionate, Father-like love that caused You to send Your own Son to redeem us, adopt us into Your family, and our eternal life is secure. Lord, we confess this life, there are moments nothing feels secure. It feels like everything is falling apart. But our hope is in You. We realize that just like with Joseph, just as he rose and he fell, You are with us, Lord, from palace to prison in our life. We just pray You lift our eyes this morning, even off of our circumstances and onto You. Lord, let us hear the narration that You are providing for our current trial. We pray. In Christ's name, amen. It stands.